Mission Death and Adam and the Ants. Yes. <laughs> there was a part of me that wondered if Triana wasn't like if her entire outfit wasn't based on something you still had laying around. You were like, yeah, this is kind of this is kind of what I wore yesterday. So let's just use that. Yeah. That's that was our crowd, man. We were in the goth scene in the '90s, so <laughs> and the '80s. <laughs> there was a lot of good stuff there. Stripey tights were like my date, my go-to daily go-to were the striped tights. <laughs> I miss those. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Where are they all? Oh, and they did come back. I thought they did. Like I really like uh, kind of. Coming up in the, the, like, was it like the, the new wave, new goth, like, eh. I mean, I saw some of that's come back, like the parachute pants were like the huge <laughs> Jinko pants with like the, the straps and pockets out of nowhere. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the Vivian, that's like the Vivian Westwood, like the plaid pants with the chains and all that. Yeah, yeah that's oh, all, that's oh, all Vivian Westwood, Malcolm McLaren, early the 70s, the sex shop. And then Trash and Vaudeville carried it. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about fashion later. <laughs> there is certainly a lot to be had. There's now, so much. Uh, let's go ahead and kind of begin this, uh, this interview by talking about what a career you have had and what is in store for you in the future. But before that, can we intro the episode? Ah, we should definitely do that. <laughs> Go Team Venture! Gary, nobody cares about the Venture Brothers. People care. Well, just be quiet. All right, fine. People really need to know this stuff. Welcome out, ladies and gentlemen, to another spectacular episode of Congestion Technologies, a venture industry podcast. I am your host, the inconquerable, the indomitable uh, Professor Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companion, the inimitable Baron B. Slimode. We are joined, as always, by our resident denizen of dinner theater, the Bod Villain, a man for whom headphones enhance the sounds of your screams rather than canceling out that noise. And of course, we are joined by the Venture Sisters, Audrey Hartburn and Dolly Parton. And we have a very special guest with us today, a woman who needs no introduction but is getting one nonetheless. A woman for whom all the accolades an hour can spare would not be nearly enough, but we will do our darndest. A woman for whom the bell tolls. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are joined by director, actress, musician, uh, German expressionist enthusiast, fashion maven. All around funny lady. All, yeah. And of course, as many of you will probably recognize her as the voice of Triana Orpheus from the Venture Brothers. Hey. <laughs> hey, everyone. 
So we are incredibly honored that you've taken a few minutes out of your busy schedule to join with us today. And I have a couple questions for you. Uh, so my neighbor is actually originally from Salem, Massachusetts, uh -huh. which is not a huge place. No. But it is well known for one thing in particular. Burning witches? Actually, it's their maritime history. Oh. <laughs> so two That's things. Because Salem didn't do the hanging. It was Salem Village, which is now Danvers, did the hanging. And Danvers changed its name to Danvers because they were so embarrassed. <laughs> Actually, I think I learned that on a, on a podcast. Was it Unobscured? They did a whole season about the Salem witch trials. And when wow. you find out, like, it's Game of Thrones with, like, farmland and Puritans. <laughs> It's just bitchy neighbors, and I mean, I have a bitchy neighbor now. I wish I could get him hung. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a nice pressing. Structural evidence. Structural evidence. Call yes. Mr. Giles. We'll see what we can do. So I wanted to go ahead. The reason I bring this up is because you have traveled far and wide, and I was curious if you felt like your uh, provenance from Salem had actually had managed to make any impact on the trajectory that your career took. Definitely. Uh, not only did I was I born and lived in Salem, I lived next door to Lori Cabot, who's the head witch, you know, I mean, for $100 an hour, yeah. But I remember when I was a kid, I would look across the alleyway to her building and I would see the red lights and the group of people in a circle and the chanting. And then I would go to the Salem Witch Museum and see the same thing in their presentation with the pentagram and the chanting and the circle and the red. And, I, and then she would see me in the street and with her long cape and, and always give me the best compliments about my dress or my toy. And uh, I feel like living there was like living in constant happy Halloween. It was so fun and crazy and scary that yes, it absolutely had a huge effect. When I moved to Connecticut, I would bragged to everyone that I was a witch so that they would leave me alone. <laughs> that was like third grade. <laughs> I just wanted to be left alone. Um, but there were, everybody when I got to Connecticut were such pussies because in Salem, like it was pretty hard scrabble. I don't know why. There were just like weird, like tough guys and gangs everywhere. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I mean, all the it witches roaming weird. around, you had to, you had to watch your back. It was the 70s. I don't know what was going on. If it was just like drugs. I, I mean, I have no idea. I just remember it being, I would get either beat up every day or I would beat someone up. And then when I got to Connecticut, I tried to do the same thing. And everyone's like, oh, she's so <laughs> So I, I just was like, all right, just, I'm a witch. Stay away. I don't know. I got to tell you, I, it had never occurred to me that Salem was like, uh, I, I don't know, what, what's that neighborhood in Boston that they always make movies about? Southie? Southie. Like, it yeah. occurred to me that like Salem was like the Northie Southie. You know, a lot of Massachusetts is. It's really horrible. <laughs> Nothing's worse than Connecticut. Yeah. No, I mean, like, my dad was in a gang in Bill Ricca. He's got a metal plate in his head and in his face. <laughs> And they would put firework, firecrackers in your mouth and pin you down <laughs> until they exploded. He told me a story. Yeah, no, he was really violent. He was in a violent gang. They were all attacking each other. The Italians attacked the Canadians, attacked, you know, the Polish. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you say Canadians? Like there was a Canadian gang faction? French oh. Canadian. Like, well, okay, French Canadian. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want you to know one of the things I discovered during quarantine was Twin Peaks. And then I just went down that David Lynch rabbit hole real hard. And so, like, one of the things, like you said, you said, like, Canadian. I was like, Jean Jacques Renault? Uh, no, no, what was his name? Um, um, no, the the one dude, uh, one-eyed Godfather, Jack. Godfather Death? Yeah, I thought it was Jacques. Jacques. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that actor just recently died. But yeah, when you say, oh. like, French-Canadian gangs, uh, yeah. I'm like, they're smuggling, like, uh, you know, hookers, heroin, and drugs across the borders. And maple syrup. <laughs> In service of, like, you know, the Black Lodge? like. No, it was, yeah, seriously, it was just territorial, and I, I don't like hard for us to understand that now because that's just like that doesn't happen anymore but it was the same in boston it was the southeast and you know the italians even when i lived in boston in the 80s i was beaten by by someone uh, of a different race and everybody was in their own neighborhood you couldn't be irish and go to a, an italian neighborhood in the 80s still it was super violent in, in boston and the the main move that you do is you pull, it's like a hockey move, you pull the shirt up over the head and then you punch them while they hit me. Somebody once described, I forget who it was, but they said a neighborhood is that area outside of which you get beat up. And I, I feel like that's incredibly true in this instance. Yeah, I mean, it, it's true. I, I don't think that happens so much now. Now it's just violent, like, I live in the Bronx, but I live in a really nice part of the Bronx in Riverdale. And just over the highway is where the MI-13 gang is, you know, chopping people up with machetes. So I'm not going to say it's over, over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah, they would, they were territorial and they would beat each other up and they would, you know, prank each other. And my dad said one time two different schools decided to have a Rumble, <laughs> <laughs> like in Greece, or West Side, West Side Story. Story. Oh, West Side the Story. Sorry. Yeah, the snapping and they, all. They, they, yeah. So yeah, it was in the parking lot, a lot from the '60s to the '80s. Like <laughs> they were bringing chains and like clubs, and I mean. Well, I mean, I, I know that schools really emphasize being a part of clubs. I didn't realize that's what they meant. <laughs> they get the wooden clubs. Did they ever use the bottles clinking together and say, Warriors, come out to play? Yeah, pretty much. They would go to where he worked and like look through the window and tap and be like, We're wow. going to get you. <laughs> now, this is one of the things that uh, I was really curious about. Now, you've lived a lot of different places, and obviously, neighborhoods being as territorial as they are, especially when you've got so many different groups mixing. Uh, do you find that that actually inspired you to continue? like to develop different voices and different sounds? Like, you know, is it one of those things where you practicing accents and things when you were growing up or you felt like you were always very stable and that's what kind of allowed you to navigate that more efficiently? Uh, I was a latchkey kid. All the Gen X kids are latchkey, which means you don't, you're just, you're, you have to find your way into the house after school. You, don't, you find your way home. You don't get a ride, you don't get picked up. There's no helicopter parent. You are, you have to drag your ass home and hope that they for didn't forget to leave the key under the rock. And if they did, you have to go to a neighbor's. Mm -hmm. uh, but I spent a ton of time as, as an only child up 
um, upstairs. I had the whole upstairs and I had all my dolls and my toys and I would just watch cartoons all the time and talk to my animals and dolls. Uh, so that's, that's where I came up with different personalities. <laughs> well, and uh, that's something I kind of noticed about the, the scope of your work. Um, like your uh, filmmaking stuff is kind of wonderfully all over the place. Like uh, I was sitting down watching the sisters plots and uh, <laughs> as a filmmaker, I really love like, you know, the, the kind of homage to a lot of like early, like uh, 1920s, 30s, 40s framing techniques and even down to the plot. Um, yeah. But then you have stuff like Ox, uh, you know, written, yeah. like you know, working with, uh, you know, satire master Ben Edlund and, uh, I love that, like, I mean, it, it straight up looks like Anton LaVey. <laughs> I know. And, you know, what? I when I found Chris O'Leary, a lizard who plays Pox, we, we were working on some movie. And I was like, okay, this he was, like, bald-headed with those pants, the punk pants with the, all the stuff on it and the fucking satanic shirt. And I was like, oh, this kid is way too cool to talk to me. Of course, I look like Nina Hagen and my hair. Like, so... We both went like in our heads, one, two, three, hi. And when he opened his mouth, I almost shit myself because he has this really beautiful high-pitched voice. He talks like that. And we just fell in love immediately. And I was like, okay, here's the thing. I got to make fun of Satanists because it's funny. And we can pretend you're really evil. Then you open your mouth and it's just like a Long Island housewife. <laughs> Which he, you know, he's from Long Island. He's like a Long Island housewife, basically. Um, kind of an inverted doctor girlfriend situation. Yes. Kind of. And yeah, like a little bit like that too. And that, and they, they got along very well. Uh, Chris O'Leary and uh, Doc, when I was married to Doc, they would just go on and on and on riffing on the funniest things. And of course, I don't know if you know, but um, Doc also did the sock puppet socks in the pop show. Nice. No. <laughs> it's nasty as hell. And it's, it's going to be streaming this week, Thursday night, I can send you the link, but it's it's filthy. <laughs> <laughs> really funny. It's a sock puppet that's made to look like Pox because Pox gets kidnapped. So Socks fills in and Doc also plays the manager, uh, Rodney Carmichael, who makes who hires Socks. So it's a whole it's a whole circle of life. Uh, it's not just a circle. That's a Dr. Seuss book. You're like, Doc <laughs> plays socks for Pox. <laughs> in a box? Yeah. I like that. So you have a ton of stuff that you are working on uh, right now. One of yeah. which, of course, is Maybe Sunshine. Yep, that's, um, that's the show that we were making about a woman who's like an, a middle-aged woman who tries to start her rock band again and just all the weird shit that happens. And we incorporated some of the weird shit that actually did happen to me when I was in the goth bands uh, earlier. Um, a lot of it's true story stuff. And that's on, that's on Sika TV or something on Roku right now. Um, I'm also uh, editing and I'm the executive producer on a Molly Ringwald film. What? That's really oh, awesome. Wow. It's cool. It's really cool. Uh, it took a lot of work. It wasn't in a good spot. So I tend to be with like an edit doctor um, or a story do doctor. So if so somebody brings me something and they're about to shelve it or dump it, uh, I take one more look at it and see if I can make a story out of it. And we save this 
my, my new husband and I, uh, Levi, saved this thing. And it's really cute. And I, they're looking to sell it right now. So it's called Montauk. And it'll be out when it sells. Wow. <laughs> Everything rhymes with you, doesn't it? Fox, socks, Montauks, docks. Oh, God. I'm projects must be really easy or very difficult, depending <laughs> on. Like, <laughs> right. So, so those are like, yeah, those are the, the, the exercises I do every day. So I can do my voiceover work. Socks, pox, docks, socks. <laughs> the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog. <laughs> so uh, one of the members of the team that isn't here is a lovely gentleman named Randall Avix who is, uh, you know, just a big fan of Venture Brothers in general, but also is a big fan of yours specifically, like, you know, your music career outside of Venture Brothers. That's um, nice. He has a question. Uh, he sent me a question. I wonder if I'd ask it. Uh, where did you guys get the name More Syphilitica from? That's from Doc. So um, we both really, really love symbolist art and um, art from like the late 19th century. And there's an artist called Felician Rowe, R-O-P-S. He's Belgian, I believe. And he did these uh, drawings and etchings that are just fantastic. And one of them was just called Morris Syphilitica because syphilis was a huge uh, problem in the late 19th century. It was bringing down a lot of artists. And I mean, everybody had syphilis because they didn't have anything to cure it with except mercury. But this is a beautiful piece. If you have a chance to look it up, uh, take, take a quick peek. I don't have it with me in front. Of, I could hold it up, but... Um, Look up Felician Row, R-O-P-S is the artist. And we were so obsessed with this artist that we were just like, anything, anything by him, we'll use anything by him. <laughs> but I think it's cool. It's like, it kind of spells out that our favorite artists, the 19th century artists and painters were aff afflicted by syphilis and died horrible deaths. Goss. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a ray of sunshine. I love it. <laughs> um, and Randall did have one more question, uh, kind of skipping ahead just a little bit to the, the back end. Um, what's the most annoying question you've ever been asked about Triana and or the Venture Brothers in general? The most annoying question that like either comes up repetitively or just hits you sideways like, ew, I don't like that. Uh, I don't mind anything. Um, I just, I don't write the show, so I can't always answer. Um, I'll tell you what I can, and it's usually not much. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, thing, things things don't annoy me unless, like you know, evil people that do you know evil politicians like that. But this kind of personal stuff and and interviewing like nothing really gets me. Nothing nothing bothers me. If you call, I mean, I've been called like fat and weird, and I'm like, yeah, here's a video of me being fat and weird. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, so, nothing nothing bothers me. Well, now that we have it on record that nothing bothers you, we are now going to ask you questions about Disney actors who have become pop stars. Okay. No, that's not what's happening at no. all. What did I say? What? <laughs> we didn't discuss as as this. I, as long as I can look it up and be like, yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead, since we've kind of uh, actually, before we get to the Venture Brothers portion, I have a couple of questions for you specifically about some of the, your earlier work. Like, specifically, what was it about German Expressionism that caught your fancy? Oh, my God, it's so beautiful. I think I was a child and I would spend summers in Princeton, New Jersey with my grandmother and she would just set me up in her room and I'd turn on New Jersey late night TV, like 
now 13 or something. And they would be running all these German expressionist old silent films and all these beautiful old silent films. And I was just blown away by the creativity and the angst and the darkness. And you, you just don't see anything like that. I, I've always loved fairy tales. I would always read fairy tale books and dress up like a princess. So a lot of them have to do with fairy tales. And um, I just, it just caught on with me. I, I love the darkness and the beauty and the angst. I like things that are more honest like that, that aren't trying to like hide everything with like, happy and smiley and shiny. You know, I go for the dark and the angst always. Well, and one of the things that struck me about it overall, and this is actually kind of a, a two-parter here, one of the things that struck me about it was it is a very romantic uh, lens, just in general, right? Oh, God, yeah. Like, yeah. and, you know, and it got me wondering if you had, were trying to at one point go, you know, if it was a, a conscious project, like, okay, I'm going to work my way through German film, like, all right, we're going to go to New Anglo-Saclakite after this, right? Like, let's go check out, like, okay, how do we take these different elements? And is it something that we're doing, you know, in order to kind of, uh, just to play in this world? Or is yeah. it something that we're doing to kind of make a statement about where things are, where we're at and where we're going? I just do what I love. And I love German Expressionist film. Um, and I was also working with Dame Darcy, who is an amazing artist. So I had at my fingertips this person that could recreate all the set, like the Caligari kind of sets. So with Empire of Eight, she made all those sets for me. And I have a Super 8 camera that has all kinds of in-camera, like I can rewind and do double exposures in the camera. And I don't know, I just, I geek out. Right? <laughs> I geek out with this stuff and I just love doing it. And then I have weird dreams. Like uh, I had a dream about, what happened in Empire of Eight with like the one-armed girl in a sanitarium and the puppets talking to her and then the ghost of herself talking to her. And like, I dreamt that whole thing. So I just put it out there. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's why I'm not like a big Hollywood director. I just do what I love and my, you know, what I see and what I feel inside. I don't. Well, it's gorgeous. Thank you. That was one of the things we were talking about kind of doing the research was like, I wish we had this kind of creative output as a group and you're just one person. <laughs> I'm, I'm a tired, tired girl. <laughs> I'm so tired, but yeah, I can't. I mean, our whole apartment is, it's a mess, but every inch is either has an instrument, a computer with editing, a computer. I have like one computer with Premiere, one with Final Cut 4, one with Final Cut 7, one with GarageBand 3, another one with GarageBand like 11 and you know every I don't throw anything away so everything has a purpose here and we have to make lists to try to get everything that we envision done otherwise it just we kind of just like have ADD and we don't it's off into the ether it's so hard but I think lists are the way to do it for me and um my friend I'm friends with Eve Plum from the Brady Bunch and she told me to go and we're both barely know how to use the internet but she told me about a platform where you can post your social media like you can you can place it like weeks in advance so I'm just having fun going home going through all my old photos and finding like you know oh my god we were so fun we had so much fun and we were so creative and so I'm just sitting here looking at my photo books like 
do all that? I don't know. <laughs> the power of reds and cigarettes. You've got to be a spaz. You never sleep. You're, you, you're constantly, like, let yourself daydream. If people are like, why are you looking out the window? Be like, fuck off. I'm making my next script. You have <laughs> to be able to daydream to be able to be creative. And if you're constantly, like, doing, you know, busy work and, like, you know, things that don't give you that breath to like be creative and daydream, you're not going to be able to, you're not, I guess I was lucky because I had a, I had a New York uh, rent control that was $300 in the, in the 90s. Wow. And oh, yeah, I found it from a mobster. And so I, we didn't really have to work. All we had to do was move two dead bodies and that baby was ours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... There were like holes in the wall. This apartment was not on any register. It was a kill house. I know it. And, and Doc is still there. Doc still has his stuff there. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, no, that that helped us okay, uh, do what we wanted to do creatively. And now is that the same apartment? Creative. Like, okay, well, we've all listened to the commentary quite often. Is that the same apartment where he talks about like the cat box that never gets emptied? Yeah. <laughs> Robespierre. Robespierre was my cat. I got her from my oh, home. I know. Great she, name. She had, I think, she had a heart attack. And I'm like, how does a cat have a heart attack? What? And then he never told me. And I had to find out, like, at a panel. What? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, this is so sad. I cried. Oh, my God. Cat died. It was really weird. Was That's crazy. a weird time to let that one out of the bag. Really you know what it is? He told me he was afraid to tell me because my mom had just died and he didn't want to hurt me anymore. Mm -hmm. So oh. I'm like, but I would have eventually found out. <laughs> that sounds like the kind of logic from somebody who just didn't want to be the one to tell you. Yeah, I don't blame him. I'm yeah. pretty emotional. Yeah, I get pretty that's, emotional. That, that's hard. That, that, that's hard. It's, it's like, really look, hard. I really don't want to do this. So I think the best place to do it's in public. <laughs> 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 oh, I couldn't text you, but I could yeah. tell you in front of like 400 people at Hall yeah. H in San Diego. There's nothing I can do about it if I'm just you know in, in a crowd of people watching. <laughs> like, okay. I oh, see, I would have just stood up and like, "Good day, sir," and just marched out of the room. <laughs> I did, and I have a cat funeral to plan. I did stand up and say something, but nobody heard me, so I sat back down. Oh. 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 Okay, so uh, not uh, I'm not going to say like we have a ton of, of listenership, but say what you said. At least uh, about a hundred people will hear exactly what you said that day. Oh, what I said that day? Yes. God, I, it was something like good, I said, "Good day, sir." It was really similar. I wish I could remember. I'm so sorry. It was very similar to that. It was like, "How dare you, sir?" <laughs> Oh, that's sad. Now, that was like a, a, a dumb cat and a blind cat. Are they two separate cats? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. Sounds like a joke they tell at vet clinics. <laughs> I got, so I got a dumb cat and a blind cat. Which one, you know, which end do you want to look at? I don't know. <laughs> one of them doesn't know. Yeah, I'll never know. I don't know. 
one won't care and one it'll be a great surprise. Yes. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about in particular too was your music career. You have been affiliated with a number of different bands, not just more Syphilitica, but you, uh, you have had several albums come out on your own. Uh, Dakini in particular was really interesting to me. And I was wondering if you could kind of explain uh, Dakini, you know, like just, it was, I recognized, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, What did you recognize? Oh, I was going to say like you, your Indian influence was very like, you know, parts of it really subtle. A lot of, some of it was really on the nose and others were like the the Gregorian chant was really interesting too. Like you were really. I have a story about that. All right, hit me. Okay. So um, I've known Doc since we were, what, 17 in the 80s? I've never been in a band where I didn't have a writing partner. So any band I've been in, like, Requiem in White was before Morsa Politica. That was Boston into New York with Doc. We we wrote together. He wrote the song, the guitar, all that. Uh, same with Morsa Politica. Same with Radiana with Stephen Deal. But then uh, Dakini was the first time I did anything. I released anything on my own. And since I don't play guitar, I don't play, you know, I play bass and viola, but I don't play, I can't like write a guitar song. So I was like, well, I'll just do my other love, which is medieval music. I've been obsessed with medieval music since I was a kid. And okay, so I, I mixed a lot of the things just that I like together. I love Indian classical music and I studied, uh, I studied raga singing for a little while. And um, I, the Gregorian chant is the ancient Carmina Burana. It's not the Karl Orff. It's the Ooh. actual manuscript from Germany from the 12th century where these, these student monks would be sarcastic and they were like hipster monks. And <laughs> they would make these black mass songs out of these regular church hymns just to fuck with the church. So they made a manuscript and there's one person, there's one library in America that has the print of it. And I drove all over and I found it. And I started a madrigal, like a medieval group and we sang some of it. <clears throat> but the first, anything that's chanty like that is all from the Carmina Burana. Nice. Yeah. It's, I think cool. stuff too. <laughs> well, and uh, one of the ones I really enjoyed was uh, Terror Twins. Um, oh, well, because uh, it's the most apt, aptly described thing I've ever, like, or I have a most aptly described thing I've heard recently. Uh, I think the review was, it's music for ghosts. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the, the cover is, uh, you know, a really great, like, you know, faux memento mori. Um, and of course, like, you know, uh, your brother is way creative as well. Uh, one of the, oh the biggest, one of the biggest, like, underground films, uh, you know, cult films in, in the punk scene ever. <laughs> ever. SLC punk. Yeah. No, we, we, <laughs> no, we, we have so much fun together. And we live, when we lived in LA, uh, Levi and I, we lived with James. And we lived in his old, this old rundown haunted, like silent movie star mansion that was crumbling. And it had giant Roman pillars and it had like palm trees inside with like the, you know, the, the, the whole place was crazy. And we would just film stuff all the time when we would play, you play piano on the 50 foot ceiling, the piano would just ring out. So we would either be coming up with a script idea together every day, making a song, 
some kind of short or music video and he now lives in Harlem and I'm in, up in the Bronx and we haven't seen each other and we're both like crying every night because you know we've been quarantined no it's he's a he's an amazing director and writer I, some of the scripts he has written that haven't been made yet would make you cry they're so good and like why aren't they being made you know honestly he's one of the best writers I've I've ever read period of any screenplay writer you can see one of my cats I <laughs> is he a younger brother or older brother He's a little bit slightly younger and he's a half brother. Okay. Well, I was sitting there thinking because you were being very effusive with your praise, which made me think, okay, is this because he was the younger brother and would hold you down unless you said nice things? And you're like, no, I'll tell you why, because we didn't grow up together. <laughs> <laughs> we found each other later. <laughs> really? I lived in New York and he was in LA doing his thing. And he found me through Puss Bucket, my movie Puss Bucket. He was obsessed with it. He showed it to Nicholas Rogue and he showed it to all these people around Hollywood who were like, oh my God, this is like pure outsider, independent cinema. I've never seen anything like it. And I'm like, dude, it's fucking Puss Bucket. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. So, I don't know. So wait so a minute. We, You're we telling We went and we found each other. We knew about each other, but we hadn't ever really met before. Got it. So did you know that you were related when he was showing your movie around? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I was just thinking, well, how random would that be? It's like, yo, you got to check out this artist. I love her style. I love everything about it. It's like, oh, we're, we're related. We're also cousins because uh, I have uh, Richard Stockton on my side signed the declar declaration and uh, Richard uh, Rush on his side signed and then Rush and Stockton, the daughter and son married. So we're also cousins. Hey, yeah, I can get an episode of that on the, like an episode about that on Venture Sisters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not a half brother, but I have cousins that are both my cousins, but they're not each other's cousins. It's just crazy. Yeah, well, it's crazy. My, uh, my, my neighbors from Salem, and I, maybe this is just a Salem or Northeast thing, but my neighbors from Salem were related before they got married. How? Because her sister and his brother married each other. Oh, okay. And then they got married. So it was the only, the, the only couple I've ever heard of who were brother and sister-in-law before they were husband and wife. I feel like it happens with twins a lot, twin couples. I yes. feel like that's a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially, especially joint twins. No, but really. Right. <laughs> Out of necessity. You don't have much of a choice. <laughs> Uh, no, that's crazy. I would love to talk to your Salem neighbor someday. <laughs> well, she is actually getting ready to move back up. To Salem? Yeah, to Salem. Uh, I, she came down, she tried North Carolina for a little while, was like, you know, this is cool, but it's just not nautical enough, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> Salem's awesome. Uh, does she does she know like Lucian Graves and the, the Satanic Temple and all that? I, so I actually reached out to her to see if uh, you were part, uh, if she knew some of your family, because again, Salem's not huge, uh, mm -hmm. but her family is French Canadian. So I don't know if that was like fighting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, our, that side of my family is French Canadian. So uh, ask her if she knows the, like Houle, H-O-U-L-E. I, I, I did actually. I did. I did ask. And she said, and I quote, I do not. 
<laughs> but if I ever see them, I will cut them with a stiletto. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah, my French Canadian side is Houle, and that's Montreal. And that was uh, Rajon Houle from the Montreal Canadiens, the hockey team. That was my dad's cousin. Nice. Ooh. Yeah, in uh, where I live in North Carolina is uh, rapidly becoming a hockey area because we have the hurricanes. And most of our team is Canadian, <laughs> as are most NHL teams, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's crazy. And I don't know a lot about hockey. I should. <laughs> I so, wonder if in like, you know, the, the Canadian teams, they're like, oh, yeah, it's time to go do like, you know, a tour down in America for a few seasons, like come back mm -hmm. home, retire, trade in the, you know, the dollars for some toonies. Like if it's a whole, like, you know, it's like them doing the Navy. It's like, I'm going to, you know, join the hockey team and see America. <laughs> <laughs> like build yourself up here and then do really well up in Canada. That's kind of like how it was with Broadway in New Haven, Connecticut. You would, you would uh, open in New Haven and, and fine tune your show and before you would open in Broadway. Nice. In shitty New Haven. <laughs> now, have you done any theater? Because just, yeah. I was going to say that seems 100% up your alley as well. Yeah, totally. I grew up doing a ton of theater. I was like, you know, maybe I guess like one of the child stars in town. It's really corny, but I'll tell you when I, I got into Emerson College on a musical theater grant and did the audition, all that stuff. And then second day I got there, I saw the entire theater department on the front steps doing jazz hands like to uh on Broadway. and i was like i just turned around and marched upstairs and, and switched to film this is not the scene i'm looking for <laughs> i was like oh. watching you know i was watching like you know um Herzog movies in high school and I was goth and I was listening to Christian death and, I, and I'm confronted with like, hey, oh, and I was like, just no, no, no. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this because this is a pretty contentious thing in, in our group. Uh, <clears throat> how do you feel about Hamilton? Good grief. I knew you were going there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say anything bad about other artists, but it's just not my cup of tea. It's very clever and uh, oh God. <laughs> things that need things that need to be said because we were we almost did a cover of of uh in the room. The run where it happens. Where it happened. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, th there's no doubt that this shit is super, super solid and super clever. It's just not really my cup of tea. As much as I saw The Great Comet, uh, which I loved, and that had some singers that were almost like Lana Lovitch style, like very goth, very Russian, very an opera and crazy and weird and uh, almost like Ema Sumac kind of thing. And that kind of that kind of theater is what I'd rather see. And they were like all dressed up in cabaret, and they were they would do flips in the air while playing a, their violin. It was crazy. Um, that's more my, my style, you know, uh, than Hamilton stuff. Not that I'm not into. I don't know if you Is that what they call it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but you have made vaude 
and Dolly so incredibly happy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, as soon as you said, you know, it's not quite my cup of tea, Vaud went like this and <laughs> this. Can I yeah, tell no. you what we can I tell you what we listened to almost every day for a year? And I never cared about it before until the movie came out was because it was so fucking weird was cats. My my uncle was the producer of cats on Broadway, Tyler Gatchel. He was Andrew Lloyd Webber's manager. And I said, no, thank you to going to see it for free. I don't care about cats. So when the and movie then the came, out, cut came out and everybody wanted to go see it. <laughs> when the movie came out, we went to hate watch it on drugs and something happened. Something happened inside. We were at the Alamo Draft House. It was like a group of people, Alamo Draft House. Everybody started screaming at the screen and we were in heaven. <laughs> I have heard that the only proper way to watch that movie is while you're high. In a group, in a big group of people with props Ooh. like Rocky Horror, and you just... I, I was actually about. Okay. Are, are we watching the birth of a new Rocky Horror? Like, are people yes. going to be? Like, I think so. Is there going to be an so. entire? I think it's to the audience. If the quarantine hadn't shut it down, I think we'd still be going every weekend because it was Alamo was doing it every weekend, and I even got the little pins that say that I'm a. a, a I've been more than ten times. <laughs> And so, then we got, like, whoa, whoa, are we still talking about cats? Yeah. Okay, just make the it movie. The movie. <laughs> I'm trying to listen to the original, and I'm just like, you know who? You know who made it better is um, uh, not Quincy Jones. God damn it, Niles. Niles Rogers. Oh, I love Niles Rogers. Rogers. What he did to that music, the arrangement. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so funky. It's so good. It's <laughs> so much better than the original. That dude but, is a genius. And that dude has gotten all the accolades, He, but it is still less than he deserves. I love him so much. I can't, and he's so humble. He doesn't even talk about, I'm like, you understand. You listen to the before and the after, and it's like two different worlds. It's so much better after he got his hands on it. Um, so we we sing to that and... If we're down, we put it on and, and it makes us, like, it breaks our brain. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I do have a question for you. There are going to be questions that arise in this. So I want to try and make sure that I'm addressing these so that listeners, as they are listening to this interview, will walk away from this with the knowledge that only you can impart. Okay. Sell cats to people who might not have been willing to give it a chance. The movie? The, the movie, not the musical, the movie. Okay, it's six o'clock at night. You have your big dinner, whether you're vegan or whatever, you have your shish kebab, you have your tabbouleh, whatever. And about seven o'clock you start putting on your makeup and you put your little cat ears on. And if you're not driving, then you, you start taking your drugs. Uh, you get your little outfit and you make sure you have everything, you know, more drugs in your bag and you make your way over to the Alamo draft house and you meet your friends in the bar and you have some drinks and then you make your way up to go see cats. And from the fucking minute you step in there, everyone is cat calling and hooting and screaming and dancing. 
and there's some kind of crazy transgender MC that's going to introduce it. And they put and Alamo Drafthouse puts on all these like weird cat commercials, like people in the '70s dancing like cats, and all this crazy shit that's cat related. You have to go to Alamo Drafthouse, and when you're there. Everyone just is, we're starting to make up and come up with what is going to be hopefully canon, you know, so <laughs> if you've seen it enough times, you know, you see, you see somebody about to fall and, and trip and you say, you know, watch your step, all that stuff. Uh, it's so much fun by the end of it that you can't even like your stomach hurts so much because it's so ridiculous. It's so retarded. And I don't think I've ever seen anything even even in the whole canon of, of all the Nick Cage movies that they show at, at Alamo Drafthouse, I don't think I've enjoyed myself quite as much as unleashing at the cats. And there's always some guy in the back that's like, there's a bitch you all hate. <laughs> 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 oh my God. <laughs> you know, and then one time uh, Jennifer Hudson starts singing Memory, which of course the whole time you're like, she's so good she's like crying in it and then the other cat victoria comes over and starts talking about herself and i'm just like it's not about you <laughs> you know you just say it's, like, oh, it's just it's it, on top of all that you are blown away by the amount of talent and hard work that went into every single inch the ballerinas the break dancers, the opera singers, the Broadway singers, the sets that are huge, the real that they're that they're climbing all over. The amount of of dedication that all of these people put into this train wreck will break your heart. And it, it'll actually make you feel like there's hope again in life. <laughs> you know, I feel the same way about uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, oh I haven't seen it. <laughs> I'm watching Doom Patrol right now, actually. Ooh, good call. Good call. <laughs> you want to talk about a train wreck that somebody put their heart and soul into? Oh, <laughs> but does it make you like? Does it does it give you faith in human no. beings? No, no. That does, and I don't even know why. They tried so hard, and it's so beautiful, and it's so horrible, and the the CG is so bad, and they took the buttholes out. So we made a video about putting the buttholes back in. You know, <laughs> so long friends. Oh, you should start like next time you're at the screening, just start holding your hand up like on actors. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first thing, like one of the first things I said, and I didn't know anything about the movie was like, I just kept, I found myself screaming like Why? donuts on sticks. Take like a dozen glazed donuts and put them on skewers and like hold them up in the track. You know how with Rocky Horror, they have people standing up front. I wonder if that's going to be canon now. Like you'll have people with donuts on sticks running around following the actors around on the screen. Great. That would be great. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but we would, people would get up and dance around and the tap dance number alone will make you want to like kill yourself. It's so amazing. I don't know how these people, I don't know. I can't imagine working that hard on one thing. <laughs> oh. Well, if you ever need like more like theatrical butthole solutions, please, like we are your people for that. <laughs> I, you're my people. I got it. I got theatrical it. butthole solutions. Got our new company name. <laughs> <laughs> Print out the cards. 
<laughs> you know, uh, TBS, TBS is going to sue us. We <laughs> did an interview last week with uh, one of the animators, a guy named John Rossetti, uh, and somehow we actually nandered onto Wasabi Butt Plug. So I feel like our interviews are maintaining a theme. It's just you're, we're all in the anal stage in, in human development. Like all of us are age seven right now. Yes. <laughs> Civilization, development of human civilization. It's all anal. So I approve. <laughs> just, uh, just so you can play that back for the record, Audrey Hartburn loved anal. I was watching this happen. <laughs> I was watching. I just, I was, I, I was waiting. I was waiting. All right. A parental warning on this one, guys. <laughs> We're just uh, just talking about <laughs> stages of development. Yeah, I never said anything about doing anal. Then <laughs> <laughs> why are you hiding? I don't think anyone under the age of 18 has ever even watched or the Venture Brothers or especially listen to us. That is not true because um, uh, we have been guest hosted by someone who didn't find the Venture Brothers until uh, they were, I think, 11, which was, and they're 17 now. That's young. Wow. Yeah, so there is a new generation of people who are not only thrilled by the Venture Brothers, but super excited that we are getting to chat with Lisa Hammer. and. Wow. Why don't we take this opportunity since uh, uh, <laughs> you know, we have <laughs> to go ahead and launch into some of our fan questions okay. uh, about Triana Orpheus. And let's go ahead and set the stage here just a little bit. Um, obviously, character design and things like that. You know, do you feel like you were tapped for Triana Orpheus because of your background or was Triana Orpheus tapped for you? I couldn't, I couldn't really know what was in Doc's mind, but I mean, seeing as we were dating when I did look like that, I think that that was probably every goth boy's dream was a girl that looks like that. <laughs> every goth girl or boy want, wants to either be with Triana or be Triana. It's very, um, it's a very, like, it's, I think it's a, the nicest goth look of all the looks. I really, I, I think it's just perfect the way they designed it. And I did dress like that. Um, but I don't know if it was, it was because of me or did, was it something where he wanted me to look more like that? I don't know. <laughs> you know it was one of my favorite Andy Warhol quotes. He said, uh, if you see someone that looks like your fantasy, they're not. They just have the same fantasy as you. It could, that's probably what it was. You know, we, we kind of grew up together, Doc and I, like we were very goth, like uber goth. And so our aesthetic is like, was like identical. So it could, it's interchangeable at that point if it was, you know, him or me. But I can tell you that I really did collect giant grandma thunderpants. That was like my thing. <laughs> I did. They, like a, Lots for less, you know, there's a lot of these weird discount stores in New York, like Weber's where they'd send, they'd sell you half a broken clock with like a weird cat coming out. I don't know, they had the weirdest shit. When you walk into this discount store and there was a huge, huge metal bin 
filled to the top with giant, giant, giant oversized underpants that looked like they'd only fit an elephant. And I bought so many of them and I gave them away as gifts. <laughs> and my friends would put them on over their clothes and we'd wear them as hats and like run up to these restaurants at night and bang on the window screaming with them all over us. <laughs> Now, uh, the movie has, you know, recently made news like they're they're getting a deal. Uh, do you know if Triana is going to pop up in the movie at all or? Uh... I have no idea because I, I think he had me go away to college quite a long time ago. <laughs> away to like witching, witchcraft school. So right. it's, it depends on what fits into the story arc. I know it's it's shifted more to like the henchmen and stuff like that and into the relationship between um, the monarch and Dr. Girlfriend. I, I don't know if it's, I would love, I mean, I would do it. Of course. I would, I think it would be great to wrap her up. Maybe she comes back and, you know, she's like a secretary wearing pink. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? You know, uh, I would be open to it. That'd be fun. I mean, I, I don't, voice work is not my main thing. So for me, um, I just did Venture Brothers because I was married to Doc. It's not because I'm it's insanely talented in my voice. Um, so for me, I'm happy with being in it or, or happy if Triana doesn't come into play. That's fine too. So this brings me to another series of questions I had, which were, have you been following the show uh, in the past few years? Um, loosely, you might have to fill me in things i've been really loosely i've been so busy um what would you like to discuss <laughs> well, but the, the reason i ask was if you had any burning questions because i'm glad you brought up the thunderpants because uh the thunderpants were actually like there is a thread from three years ago and it has a picture of triana holding up those big pink bloomers right and the question is who do these belong to? Exactly. And we now know the answer is you. Yeah. <laughs> Mystery solved. I have a lot of giant bloomers, yeah. Which makes me think you might just be able to solve every question anyone has ever had. All right, so that's one down out of a million. <laughs> well, and with, with the question I was going to ask you is, do you have any burning questions that you hope might get answered in yeah. the film? Who's my mom? I want to know, like, what, when do we get to see my mom? <laughs> Where's my mom? Am I with my mom? Does, yeah. She, you know, does I anybody think, know? Like, does, does she show up ever? Well, so you, Triana's mother, yes. Uh, she and the Outrider are there. She doesn't have a ton of speaking roles, right. but uh, there was that uh, that holiday party. Uh, yep. I believe it was the Christmas party where they, uh, that, that that was the Pleasure Toast episode, right? Yep, I remember that. Yep, and, uh, and she's back the last there. time? She's back there strung up uh, and the Pleasure Toast guy and the, the Outrider's trying to solve the puzzle cube of doom. <laughs> All right, no, I just got the, almost the one side. Like, <laughs> and then, uh, she's in prom for like two seconds. Yeah. Um, where, like, you know, Dean's doing the, the accidental clan outfit and the, the cross lighting for Triana, right? And it's like, <laughs> what's going on? Mama, get in the house. Like, he tells her to go inside or something. Like, uh, 
Yeah, no, I don't think Triana's mom has ever spoke. I think yeah. she's always holding a glass of wine, though, except for, like, you know, when she's doing the pleasure toast thing. I would love to see her. I would love to see things wrap up with her and Dr. Orpheus and, uh, you know, whether Triana is involved or not. I really would. That's my burning question. Like, where is she? What does she do? See, now, now you've got me wondering, because I don't know that we've ever been, like, again, she's been in there a couple of times. And, and her, her primary role has just been to show how much of a smoke show that Triana is going to continue to be, right. right? And so it's like, all right, okay, what does she do? Like, for instance, what if the outrider is pretty much just her house husband and that's why he's so into magic because <laughs> she is out doing all, like she is the female equivalent of Red Death. <laughs> it could be, definitely could be. Um... I also wanted to know, I mean, this is really personal, but I wanted to know, like, if my new husband made it into any of the early scripts, any of that, like, maybe in The Better Man or something, I don't know. That'd be funny to know. <laughs> right. Now, when it comes to your personal experience as the voice of Triana, and you've been to panels, you've been to conventions and things like that. Uh, how does it make you feel when you see people walking around as in their best Triana cosplay? I love it. I love when people send it to me, pictures, send more. I love it because I'm not young and thin anymore. And so if you guys want to perpetuate that beautiful image, please do. I'll do the voice, but I can't do the voice. <laughs> Well, and I even love that, like, uh, your haircut is still vaguely Triana-shaped as, as like, a grown woman. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get the goth out of a girl. I still listen to freaking Christian Death and, like, <laughs> this is a mercy. Outhouse, Joy Division, all that. I mean, my I haven't changed my, my taste at all. I just wear more comfortable clothing now that you can drink wine. I, I gotta tell you, you're looking like a very, uh, you, your outfit is very Art Deco RBG. Oh, it's just a Moroccan tunic. Not, oh, I didn't see the rest of it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah uh, I love it. My wife is a huge RBG fan, so I have learned that I can make her incredibly happy by buying things that have, like, the collars. Oh, the, the, oh. Yeah. That Oh, it, it is a it is a a source of uh, empowerment for her. Like Good. she just loves it. So honestly, I think women should take over everything. And I'm not saying this to be mean, but couldn't we trick guys? Like, couldn't we start taking care of everything and just do it's the the way we do it is always the right way, and just give the men more time to just play dice or just play pool together and build dog houses and, and you know let the women take control you know how i know you, you know how i know you grew up on the street because your first thought about the thing men usually do was playing dice <laughs> like, you know what boys do you know playing dice and shiving each other for cash dad went out to get a pack of smokes two months ago <laughs> so uh to your to your point in particular uh there was a comment that ruth bader ginsburg had made and somebody asked her you know how many women on the supreme court would she feel comfortable with and she said seven 
right? And they were like, what? That's too many. She was like, well, we had seven men and nobody made us think about it. Yep. And then it like, I was thinking back to, uh, you know, back in 2016, uh, somebody was like, oh, I don't think Hillary should be president because I don't think a woman should be president. And, you know, they, they might start a war or something. And like the, the interviewer was like, is, hasn't every other war been started by a man? Yeah. <laughs> she was like, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. So uh, to your point, uh, if I if I'm already uh, excited about the brave new world with more dicing, yeah, <laughs> we we just build you guys a hammock in the back, and we hand you beers, and you can play with the video games, do all that shit. You know, if we need shelves put up, fine. But let the women. I want to be honest. This is hitting way too close to home. Like this is also sounding I'm like a house heaven. husband in this relationship. I put up the shelves. <laughs> I'm already like, are you talking to me? <laughs> Am I living in your future? But don't you have like a nice vibe there where, I mean, things are just kind of calm? It's kind of awesome. He's got kids. See? Yeah, I mean, we, we do have two kids. So as, as solid as that vibe can be. <laughs> yeah, the kids, the kids change it. Yeah. Yeah, the kids change everything. That is true. I am. Uh, I, I. I just. I was waiting for one of the little nudists to run around behind them. And oh, you didn't like, see him earlier. Oh God, no! Apparently, I. Oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I see yeah, the big teddy back there earlier. Yeah, there's like a bear on the couch like this. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. He. Uh, no, he just got done watching cats and isn't over whatever he was on yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> we covered his butthole though. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to keep this PG. <laughs> no, we've already we've already crossed that bridge. Yep. Here, PG stands for please keep going. Hence <laughs> <laughs> the two children. <laughs> we know how we do. So, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> Honey, you know what we're doing. I just said you know how we do. Come on. Uh, <laughs> no, um, so we did get a couple of fan questions uh, while we're, I guess, kind of asking about Triana things. So I yeah. guess if you could take just a hot minute and, and get in deep down into your, your inner Triana. All right. So we're going to start off with something that's a little bit easier okay. um, that I feel like. Uh, well, I say it's easier. This is definitely like a, a very big fan thing. Um do you ever get compared to Aubrey Plaza? No. I like her, though. Never. I've never heard that. All right. Now, this one's going to be a little bit more controversial, uh, mostly because I have my own opinions on it, and I think everybody else here does, too. Brianna, why didn't you give Dean a chance? I don't know. I just, like, felt, I felt so sorry for him. I was kind of embarrassed for him, and I... I didn't really want to be mean. <laughs> I don't like being mean. It's like shooting fish in a barrel, you know. <laughs> That's the best answer. <laughs> it, you know, it's it, it's easy to be mean. It's really hard not to be mean. <laughs> so easy to be mean, and so many people do it. It's like I kind of want to be like different than them. So I don't no. know. That that very much uh, like I posted in in our little like Facebook group on online or on Facebook, uh, you know, we're doing this interview. You guys have any fan questions? And like 
the one guy that asked about it, that just kicked up a whole thing. Like people still feel sideways. Like you did that man dirty. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. If you really go back and look at the relationship, she was, she didn't lead him on. She didn't do anything untoward. Dean was that guy who, you know, he's good guy, Dean. He thinks if he's nice enough, you can get sex tokens. (laughs) And then you get to spend those sex tokens, right? And now you're my girlfriend. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Is that kind of an incel thing? I'm not 100% up to date on all this. That That's my theory is that's why the, the Dean argument, uh, like the Dean Triana thing causes so much uh, conflict in the fandom is like guys who feel like they have that like entitlement to a relationship with women yeah. are really offended by the fact that, well, Dean's clearly a nice guy and you just didn't. Like, well, first off, Triana was shown the future. She saw what future Dean was going to look like. And yeah. if she bought in at that point, that's just self-destruction. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, like Dean did not get friend zoned. That's no. not a thing. Like it, Triana did not owe him a thing. But no, she owed no. him a lot of her time. She even went to his prom. Exactly. I mean, like how much nicer, you know, I'm trying to be a nice person. I'm living here with these people and You know, it's really, it's really a small person who gets pleasure out of being mean or can just so easily and be mean. It it takes a lot of inner strength to be nice, but also set boundaries. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's hard. I've had stalkers. I'm not, every woman on the planet has had stalkers. There's no way around it. There's going to always be somebody who's like, yeah, but I'm a nice guy. Why do you always go out with these assholes? All of us get it. And it's like you have to teeter between you don't want to piss them off so much that they kill you but you also like don't want to end up married to them like what's the in between <laughs> you still piss them off so much that they kill you <laughs> like where's that fine line where you get to just be yourself and live a life like a free life and do what you want you're either single or a lesbian that's it that's the end of that, yeah. <laughs> Triana really is an excellent example of proper boundaries in relationships. Exactly, exactly. And I think that women should like watch that a little bit and maybe learn from that. And maybe, I, yeah, like I, I didn't have, uh, I didn't know that you could set boundaries when I was younger. I had no idea. Uh, so, but. Uh, I was taught to be nice because, you know, you're a female. Like, don't be mean to anybody. Don't don't hurt their feelings. Don't, you know, don't upset anyone. So you put up with it, you put up with it, put up with it. But, like, you're not even remotely dating this person and suddenly they think you're dating and, and it's, and they, like, get mad at you because you're, you have a boyfriend. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying that people thought you were dating and you weren't dating? That's happened to every woman I know. That has never happened to any guy I've ever known. <laughs> no, because the men, they put, they make stuff up in their brain, like, that they're, I had a roommate, even an adult roommate when I lived in LA, who made up this whole scenario where he was dating this girl he had loved since college, and, and since he rebuilt her entire car for her, he was entitled to sex. And she was like, no, I have a, I have a boyfriend. Like, What? <laughs> Oh, yeah. And so, guess I got to take yeah. this car apart. <laughs> we would go out with my brother James out to a nightclub or something, and this person would be like, well, well, 
how do I don't get it? How do you get all these girls? And he's like, don't go, don't go up to him and act creepy. Just kind of be yeah but then he would take that as like he would march up to some girl and be like you want to go out with me if you don't i'm a really nice guy and if you don't you're just a jerk and we were like this is a grown man doing this and i feel like most of the republican party is like this but <laughs> I feel like it's just a different kind of brain it's in a weird entitlement and you make up these fantasies in your brain of things that are happening that aren't happening and that you're entitled to things and you should be getting these things. And it's just that shit crazy. I don't know. There <laughs> I've is. had people come up to me at my show when they know that I'm, I was you know, married to, to Duck and grab me by the arm and try to pull me out of the club saying, you're coming with me right now. Like you what? need to be married to me. Like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> he made up this whole thing in his head. And when he finally got to find me he was gonna like kidnap me oh my gosh was this before or after borat had come out yeah a way before this was like goth scene 90s okay wow. then wait was this before or after the um the cult religion that you and doc had formed at one point was that before or after that because if it was after i could understand it a little bit better right after that, right after that. Yeah. Uh, okay so just maybe a little bit of that aftermath oh. <laughs> Believe me, we got chased down the street by those people. Wait. <laughs> wow. So, uh, uh, oh. I missed this. <laughs> so, Savage is over here doing all the book work. Like, yeah, let's talk about some German expressionism, blah, blah, blah. Like, you completely missed the cult? <laughs> I missed the cult. Before I tell you about the cult, I, uh, that's my new husband, Levi. Hey, Levi. Hi, Levi. We're big fans of your wife. I'm pretty sure you are, too. Yeah. I enjoy her a lot. <laughs> <laughs> are you wearing a Goonie shirt? Yes, he is. Solid. I just wear this around the house. <laughs> He's one of us. <laughs> one of us. One of us. Yeah. an amazing writer. He's writing a sci-fi pilot right now for a producer. So I'm very yeah, which I still have to write on. He's writing right now. <laughs> Now, are you letting him use one of the 18 computers you have around you, or does he have to ride it on the uh, 1983 leading-edge IBM-compatible dot matrix printer? I actually bought him a Lisa, a, an Apple Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I almost have expected her to be like, I came across this really good deal on, like, a, a vintage Gutenberg. Like, it even has a typeset and everything. <laughs> Mind your P's and Q's. Can you imagine exactly? exactly. You know, okay, it's so really like the typesetting, the script is the hardest part, but they really enjoy the baudry doodles in the sides of the margins. Right. Uh, so, so I'm all for illuminated manuscripts too. There's that, there's always that one too. <laughs> I, 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 I have to ask about the cult. Okay. So, you know, and there comes a day in all of our lives when we say, oh my God, uh, I should start a cult and be tax-free. Uh, also, I love art and music so much that that's my religion. I, we, we are, you know, atheists, we recovering Catholics, whatever. So Doc decided let's put together a religion based on beauty, art, music, all of this. And he wrote out this entire, like a whole uh, mass, like a service. And we released an album 
under the NCS. And then our friends who uh, had a store, big space, said, well, why don't you perform the ritual down here and we'll tell a couple people. So we're down in this weird cavern basement in Manhattan in the 90s. And we got the sword and the chalice and, you know, all the things, the things that you have. And we're all in our gowns and our medieval, all this stuff. And we just start playing the music from, from this mass that Doc wrote. And I didn't realize how much it was affecting people in the audience. I couldn't really see. But when we were done and we started walking out, all these people rushed us and started asking about, you know, Aunt could we answer the questions of the universe? They were, they were like foaming at the mouth. And we started walking a little faster and a little faster and a little faster. And they were kind of, you know, grabbing on. And, and it turned out we, we kind of ran to our friend's store and they ran behind us. And we had to lock ourselves into our friend's storefront until they went away. <laughs> I, 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 that scared the hell out of me because knowing how, how easy it is to either be brought into a cult or to create a cult and fuck with people, like it's, it's terrifying and fascinating to me. And having had that experience, I've never been susceptible, so I never got pulled in, but I'm always somebody who seems to draw like a lot of people, like, what are you doing? Can I do it too? Like, what's that? What's the, you know, like, like I know something they don't know, which is not even true. Um, and, pe you know, people really want to be told and they wanted the answers and they wanted us to tell them what to do. I mean, look at the latest thing with that woman who was kept, her body was kept in a room with Christmas lights all around it, their, their leader, yeah. until her eyes rotted out of her head. She died and they're still worshiping this woman. I mean, it's, it's terrifying shit. So we kind of got out of that real fast. <laughs> uh, see, Good call. I would Good have call. completely have just been the worst possible version of myself i'd have been like well you want to know the meaning of life time to clean this fucking apartment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell me to give you a list i'll, I'll sit down and you know I'll, I'll get started but it's gonna be really weird shit it's like, listen i need you guys to do all the things for me so i can sit down and come to these answers that you are demanding of me first thing I... is you have to carry all my film equipment yes <laughs> first thing 10 roadies <laughs> you have to write out like all these grant applications you have to fill them out for me you start um, your day with daily affirmations you tell me yeah. how great i am how great i am while you're doing my toe my fingers and toes like give me a mani-pedi every day massages definitely uh chocolate I, i'd have to have like pretty regular lattes in the morning a certain way and <laughs> chocolate. See, it sounds like you're putting the cult in culture Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, one last kind of uh, in, in character Triana question uh, that I know our fans want to know, but more importantly, we also as a group very much want to know. So what really is a rusty venture? What really is a rusty venture? Isn't that like, oh God, I'm gonna get in so much trouble. I didn't write it. This is just my guess that you ate Indian food the night before and it was like red hot vindaloo 
and you kind of like you leaked a little bit the next day and like when he he went back there and he kind of smeared across his face a little like <laughs> so like our last tuesday got it yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry I ate chicken vindaloo last night. It's okay. It's just a rusty venture. Yeah, that's just something to apologize for. That's on the menu. It's on the menu. I don't think Triana really, Triana doesn't deal with any of that stuff. She just likes the, like, love and respect in the real deal. She doesn't do any weird, like, sex moves, no glass bottom boats. <laughs> <laughs> Cincinnati bow ties. You know. No Cleveland steamer. She's just, she's just like, I feel like she's the only grounded uh, character in that whole universe. So I think she'd be the last person to do anything like that or to even know what it means. She'd be like, ew, God, no. He did have the internet. That's what I really liked about Triana was yeah. that she was super grounded, like almost like she was the, the lightning rod for absurdity around her. Like she was the normal part of the Venture Brothers. And yeah. then like, you know, she wanders into the closet and things get weird for her. And then yeah. kind of after that, like I felt like, you know, the, the, the trajectory with Triana changed, but I really liked that she was the regular person in the Me midst too. of all of this and like saying how absurd it all was. I love it. It's genius. It was such a great move on their part. I definitely think well, that's the other cat. That's the blind Aww. cat. She's the blind cat is just like in the corner right now. Like I love hanging out with the family. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be fair, uh, I do like Soto style Zen meditation where I face a wall. So maybe <laughs> your cat's just onto some stuff. Or maybe you just think you're hanging out with the family. He does. Fair enough. <laughs> if I could draw, that would be the comic. Literally, I'll get her. Hold on. It's <laughs> so great to be hanging out with the family. Oh. 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 Oh, she's a pretty. Is she Venetian? Persian. Oh. That's impressive, considering there's not even a Persia anymore. He's a what? Persian kitty. What what would a Persian blinds look like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say that we have little morning um, tootsie rolls to watch out for in the, on the floor. Oh. Other than that, she's like the sweetest thing. She was a rescue. The other one too. That's <laughs> awesome. it, it's honestly a thing. I I work in the veterinary industry, and disabled pets are always the best. Uh, I think in like eight years of working in the field now, I've met one mean disabled pet. Other than that, fucking sweethearts. Oh, yeah. sweet. So sweet. I, and we always, we tend to take the ones that nobody wants, you know, that are like, I, think I got I'm one of those running around here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just heartbreak after heartbreak, but nobody wants them. And it's so sad. Yeah. No, but they're great. So they just have their problems. <laughs> I have a question for you as you, which is other than Triana, who is your favorite character in the series? In the series? I don't know. I think I really like Dr. Girlfriend. Because uh, she 
really holds down the fort. And also that voice is something that Doc would always just use around the house. And so for me, it's just like, I remember that voice, you know, from growing up to him. It's, you know, like, it's just kind of, uh, it feels like home, like that voice. And where she's like a knockout with the crazy voice. And she really loves Monarch and she really loves being a villain. <laughs> He's a strong woman. I love, I love uh, Dr. Girlfriend. Huge fan. What do you guys like? Uh, we have sat down and tried to come up with our like personal list of favorites. And we all have slightly different rankings. But with each and every one of us, uh, Dr. Mrs. My Wife is, uh, Dr. Girlfriend is usually like one, two, or three. Yeah. Right. I'm very much a, uh, what's that? I'm a 21 guy. Like, uh, I, I like 21 a lot. And I like the whole development uh, of 21, mostly because, you know, he goes from being a little inept to being like, you know, uh, really on par with like, you know, Dr. Girlfriend. And I think a lot of that is being under like, you know, the, you know, kind of unnamed tutelage of Dr. Girlfriend. He gets to see how she operates and does things. And mm -hmm. that's the reason he, he didn't learn any of that shit from the Monarch. Nope. You no. Know? Um, but I also... I love Gary's just un just it, just abiding sincerity. Like when they give you the backstory, and then you find out, like you know, he was kidnapped, and they thought he was the senator, and all this other stuff. But then he heard the plan from the monarch, and he was like, "Oh no, that's brilliant! I can follow <laughs> this guy." Yeah. It was like you know, it was like you said. I mean, it's a little terrifying, but in that moment, he found his cult. <laughs> great, that's great. I love it. Hey, what, a, what a genius plan to have the henchmen like become yeah. a, like a, a thing because that speaks to every everyday person, you know, the everyday man. Not all of us are supervillains or superheroes. A lot of us are just henchmen. Bingo. You know? Then <laughs> what were you saying? Hank. We talk about it on Avengers Sisters a lot. Hank oh, is yeah. a great character. Yeah. Yes. I, I was a bit of a Hank growing up, uh, oh, really? so I, I, I definitely identify. I, sports, uh, not really paying attention to too much else, and uh, wanting to be Batman. That that really did kind of sum me up a little bit. So, <laughs> he's, great. he's great. I love it. Yeah, Hank is just unapologetically Hank. Yeah, yeah. So he, much just, so he doesn't Hank, care. Hank yeah. is a verb. Yeah. There's no. There's no. There's no crevice to break him apart. No. It's just <laughs> there. Solid. <laughs> no, Solid, exactly. There's he no, is uh, very much like, uh, you know, was it Benjamin Hoffer, the Tao of Pooh? I very easily think you could have the Tao of Hank in the same way. Well, yeah, why not? You should like, suggest that to them. <laughs> I think well, it'd be uh, good. If you'd like to slide me some emails or a phone number or uh, a way that I could send them ideas unsolicited and anonymously. Um. <laughs> oh, just run up to them on the street, like screaming like crazy. I'm sure they'll be very receptive. Yes, that's how you make friends. <laughs> I saw you in a basement in the 90s. <laughs> I got to... Uh... I got to hang out with Kurt Vonnegut once and uh, we were sitting there kind of hanging out backstage and you've got these people kind of coming up and going like, oh, you know, your work's really inspired me and all these things. 
and you could tell all he wanted was a drink and a cigarette like desperately mm -hmm. and like he was so nice about it but like Aww. he wanted to talk about anything else because it because after a while it's like you just kind of go crazy with it it's that's all you are thinking all the time you're going to go insane well, unless somebody is as skilled and talented as you are, and then there are a hundred thousand ways to bring that creativity to floor. <laughs> well, it's definitely taken its toll on me physically. I'm, I'm like half dead. <laughs> like, I'm so tired all the time, you know, <laughs> but I'm going to keep going. Luckily, um, I probably am not as um, self-reflective as most people. Otherwise, I'd be horrified by my stupid mistakes and, and just the crap that I make. Luckily, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I love my work. So I just put it out there. <laughs> and that's the thing is like some people are too perfectionist and they, they might make a perfect script, but it'll never get made because they were too afraid to show it to anyone or you know, they just are never going to be finished. No, it's not ready yet. It's like, yeah. no. You got to get it out there. You got to sometimes just throw it out there. Yeah, the I will say as like an outsider looking at your career kind of like, you know, in the breadth and scope of what's been online, I will say the th overarching theme, you know, from the outside very much looks like collaboration. Like you are just working with everybody that you can possibly, as long as, you know, it feels like you can creatively jive with, you're like, yes, let's make something. That's uh, my whole thing. I even said that to Levi today. I was like, this is the, the, the one, aside from half a million people dying in America, the saddest part is not being able to collaborate. And some people just like to work alone and know it's mine, mine, mine. But I thrive on collaboration. We had so much fun during Sisters Plots. And anytime I have a chance to have a big movie set where everyone chips in and everyone has their ideas heard. I have so much fun. You know, I, I still do like writer's rooms on Zoom with people and we have, we just have the best time. I love collaborating. I don't, I don't know where that came from. Some people like to keep it their own, but I love seeing ideas come from people and they're excited because someone's listening. You know, I have these interns that worked on Sisters Plots and I actually challenged them to be creative and make some props and come up with ideas. And they did. And they were like, wait, you want, you care about what I have to say? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Because you're a creative genius too. We're all creative. It's that was a very different experience than I had in film school. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that. Yeah. yeah. I don't even, I wouldn't even know if I could call Emerson a film school in the eighties. They had like two cameras. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. I love collaborating, whether it's music or film. Uh, I just, I love my friends. I love my creative friends. I, I love doing the, the new project we're doing, that psychedelic band, like hanging out with my friends. And then we also get to make music and then put it out. Like, it's just like a dream. <laughs> I was going to ask if you could put out into the universe, like what is it, the, the law of strange attractors, right? Uh, what is the dream project that you might tackle after you uh, wrap up this Molly Ringwald project? Postopus. So I wrote a script when I was um, heal I was getting I was healing from cancer um, caused by 9/11, and it was making me really mad at our government. I've been mad at the government since Reagan, but and then I started sending money to Standing Rock and supplies, and getting more and more angry at what was happening uh, with the pipeline. And so I just like wrote this crazy thing in three days about a ghost octopus who died because of fracking. 
it's a comedy. It's like an Austin Powers and stewardesses and Wiccans. Um, but this ghost of us, it's a ghost mother whose, whose babies were killed and she, you know, she was killed. So she's wreaking havoc on this small town in Canada and everybody thinks she's a monster, but it's like, no, you murdered her and her babies. And this is, it's a, it's an eco horror basically. So I need. Really? I mean, I'm going to be honest. It sounds kind of like Harry Potter. I mean, isn't that on, on the same level, just a story about a, a mother's love for her children? Maybe. <laughs> never thought of it that way. You're an octopus, Harry. <laughs> well, I, like I say, it's Jaws meets Airplane. <laughs> oh, I love that. Dude, yes. I was at a wedding the other day, and there were some officers hanging out outside the wedding, and I was walking by. And I bumped into something. I was like, man, looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. And the cop looked at me. And I looked back and I realized he had never seen never airplane. Seen it. <laughs> and I, I said, you've never seen airplane, have you? He said, no, what's that? And the bartender was like, what? And all of a sudden, by the time I left, there were like six servers standing around him going, all right, here's how this movie works. I was like, my work here is done. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. So good. So good. That's awesome. Well, I am super excited. And, and, and what was this called? Ghost Octopus. Ghost Octopus. I love it. And, you know, <laughs> I got to tell you again, you brought it up, which makes me think that maybe your penchant for collaboration comes from your exposure to French Canadian mobsters. Oh, no doubt. Like, oh, yeah. like they're French and they're Canadian. That's collaboration. And they're like, collaborate or die. <laughs> the the new england vichy <laughs> yeah i wouldn't doubt it they're like listen give us a part of that we want a piece so as i understand we do have a few more questions okay all right no, we actually went through them all like that was yeah got it okay i was afraid that we were skipping out on some of the other questions because that those threads were actually fairly active so uh, although I got to tell you, one of the things that uh, is incredibly apparent from just the posts that we got and the interest that people had when we they found out we were talking to you was just how much appreciation people have for your work, the work that you're doing, and the work that you have done. And of course, well, you have you. our unwavering support. And if you ever need theatrical butthole solutions, we would be honored. <laughs> Oh my God. Thank you. I was wondering when that was going to be brought up. Like, when are you going to help me with that shit? <laughs> I don't know how much I can like, you know, like hint. Levi can only do so much. Exactly. He's younger than me. So. <laughs> he doesn't have the theatrical butthole solution experience. No. <laughs> so I know no. that cut is out there. I know there's a cut out there of cats with the buttholes before I they get taken out. I, I got to be honest. I think if anybody's going to come across that cut, it's going to be Vaud. Uh, Vaud has his fingers deep in the butthole oh, circuit. <laughs> <laughs> like he is elbow deep in the internet. Okay. All right. You better tell me when you find it. When I find it, I'll let you know. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, it's one of the things we we really enjoy. Uh, we're we're very much media junkies, and that's how we all kind of came coalesced around Venture Brothers. And uh, we've been doing this for a little over a year now. So we've 
you know, seen some holidays together. And one of the things Vaude did, uh, and I hope he keeps up, is he'll actually just drop a bunch of crazy, obscure, like, Christmas episodes of TV shows uh, into the share drive. Like, if you want Moses in the burning bush, this man will find it. Wow. <laughs> On VHS. If there's any, if there's any old stuff you can't find, let me know. I can probably dig around and get it for you somewhere. <laughs> is the truffle hunter of the internet? Wow. I mean, I do need stuff because the Pox show. I just started it up now in the Bronx, and mm. you know, Pox like introduces clips, and they're all the weirdest things I could find. So, the more, oh. if you have anything obscure and weird, and you want to send it my way, please do. Uh, weird, Not a problem. Weird, obscure. I, 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 you can't see it right now because he is strictly waist up. But you have just made this man's night. Oh. <laughs> well, that's like, great. Oh, I'm glad we can help each other. I have something I need to go take care of. <laughs> I'll be right back. Obscure. <laughs> Give me a moment. <laughs> to the back so, cave. So then you must know the the film that we parodied that lovingly. You must know the. Uh, Sex Education for Trainables series. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. We got drunk on tequila and parodied that. When I first met Levi, that was our courtship. We fucking remade that movie. We did <laughs> lip sync to that to Jill. I played Jill with a wig, and I'm smoking a cigarette, like, looking at this tampon. <laughs> you guys have got to watch Period Piece. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, actually, I, I would love to. Um, one of my favorite things to do here at Helper, and we haven't done it in a hot minute just because we got busy, is we'll come up with fake ads in the venture universe. And um, one of the, uh, the things we created was uh, an OSI dummy corporation for ladies called Voop. What uh, does it spell it? Voop, V-O-O-P, like goop, but like V for venture, right? Oh, uh, Voop. Yeah, Voop. Well, it couldn't be dumber and weirder than Gwyneth Paltrow, so. Yeah, that's exactly what we were going for. So we went for uh, we we created the the Voop munition tampon, like with uh, what was it a uh, battle applicator and a whole thing. Like we've got a great voiceover. Dolly uh, does a wonderful and uh, amber gold. Um, like we love doing those like faux ads, and I love doing um, feminine ads like for men audiences because making people uncomfortable is just so much fun and two ways you can generally make a dude uncomfortable first tell him you love him second talk about women's menstruation that's it those two and things that's it bod plays off very well with my goofy southern accent oh, and oh yeah talking about, oh no i need a 12 gauge tampon and oh, my God. gross <laughs> you, did, did you film it we yeah, well, like, audio um, only. Audio I, need, I need to see or hear. Yeah, I definitely need to see that. I'll uh, I'll forward you some stuff. No problem. <laughs> you do. I need to. I need to put that on the Pox show. Well, and I <laughs> now see this has got me thinking. I wonder if we couldn't uh, put together a uh, a little script for you to read for us to feature on our show at some point. That would be fun. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Cause uh, and I was wondering if you could give us a quick uh, like promo for the podcast as Triana. Sure. What do you want me to say? 
Oh, just uh, something to the effect of, you know, for, uh, 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 you know, this is Lisa Hammer, the voice of Triana Orpheus from the Venture Brothers. Join me for all of your venture needs here at uh, Hinch Life Pirate Radio or something to that effect. So we are Hinch Life Pirate Radio and just a super simple, super clean thing. Hi, I'm Lisa Hammer from the Venture Brothers. I play Triana. And if I'm listening to pirate radio, it's only Hench Life Pirate Radio. I will listen to nothing else. This is the only show I will listen to. All the other ones are just trash. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> that is awesome. That is so awesome. Please <laughs> send me awesome film so I can put on my weird my weird Bronx cable access show. I feel like I'm really blowing people's brains apart in the Bronx because it's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like religious types and it's you know like a gay satanic talk show host. So I had to put like a huge you know parental warning. They're putting it on at one in the morning and stuff. And everything else on there is like, yes, well let's talk about how let's talk about rezoning in the Bronx. And let's talk for an hour and a half to this really boring person. I've never seen anything weird on, on the Bronx Cable Access, so I'm really excited to blow some minds. I honestly never thought I'd say this, but I wish I was 13 years old and in the Bronx right now because stumbling onto that <laughs> one night by myself, sneaking onto the TV, getting a couple extra hours in, that would be the craziest, yeah. You know, I've actually you, you gave me a new life goal that I can never accomplish. Thank you. <laughs> you can watch, you can watch a theory Thursday. about like uh, youth sleep deprivation. Yeah. And the, what kind of stuff you take in as a kid definitely affects your taste. Like sitting up at like two o'clock in the morning, watching Doctor Who and Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, yeah. Has affected <laughs> me in ways I don't even fully understand in myself yet. <laughs> My first but, memory of television is watching the abominable Dr. Fives, not Sesame Street, Vincent Price. <laughs> that's, that's how I came about. That explains so much about you. <laughs> that explains yeah. so much about you. That explains uh, wedding dress kegs in its own way. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, you're actually interviewing with a bit of an internet celebrity. Uh, if you were on social media <laughs> years back, there was a very famous picture of a bride doing a keg stand. Wow. I was I'll also forward that. <laughs> oh, God, you had that to drive? I need all of this material. I need all of it. <laughs> send me so, everything. Anything if, weird. Please if send any of our <laughs> listeners have some uh, cool material that they'd like to send you, is there a certain way that you'd like them to send it to you? Um, or you do you want to keep that kind of low-key? You can email. I, I have no problem with email. You can't find me that way. <laughs> um, email me at lisahammerasw at gmail.com or go to lisahammer.com and just hit um, contact and just say, hi, I, I heard that you're looking for weird stuff for pox. And make sure you put pox in the headline, in the title. Uh, otherwise, it'll just, I won't notice it. Um, yeah. POS. Uh, yeah. I feel like, you know, you never know on the internet, you really have to clear that up because you're going to get like a bunch of emails with like P-O-C-K-S in the title. Yeah. <laughs> like It'll be French Canadian. It'll be P-O-U like Q-U-E-S. It'll be Puck. It'll be Puck. It'll be Puck because of 
Puck. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fox Pog. and Pucks. Pogs. Pogs. Um, so if you want to watch the weird one with Socks, the Sock Puppet, it's this Thursday and it's streaming. So you can watch it anywhere. So I I post the link on Twitter and I post it on Instagram, the Lisa Hammer on Instagram, the Lisa Hammer on Twitter, and I post it on the Lisa Hammer page on Facebook. And it's got a link, one o'clock in the morning Eastern. No matter where you are, you can watch the weirdness and you've got to see the sock puppet this time. I mean, Doc is genius. He's top of his game in this one. It's kind of insane. You'll have a lot of, there'll be a lot of uh, things that you'll be repeating that he said. <laughs> like, you, you won't even believe it. Like, like well, a red I, sauce. He, I want to say there's about, a, um, a link to the with clam sauce. on your website as well, because that's where I was watching it, and I was like, wow, oh, this really is just cable access. Yeah, I did that on purpose. I want to stay weird, and you know, I have a lot of entree into the Hollywood thing. And it, I don't know, it doesn't do anything for me. It's, I'm just not aspiring to that. I, I want to stay weird and small. <laughs> Honestly, it makes me so happy that you're so into this. Cause out of all the things I was looking into on you, I was like, that is the weirdest, coolest thing out of this whole lineup. And to hear that this is what you're, you're like, no, give me more. I need more content. We're, we're, we're churning all this out. I'm like, very nice. Perfect perfect I mean, public guys, access come on i know and that's like, <laughs> every time i do it i have the best time when i i did a show with dame darcy and we like we did a doll making show with courtney love it was so i weird. saw that that was so wow. weird it was awesome you're like the velvet underground of collaborative artists yeah like you don't want to go mainstream but you want somebody to see your stuff get inspired and go do a damn thing yeah I want everybody to be creative and realize they have a way to be creative. There's no excuse to not, don't listen to what anyone says and you have to get a normal job. No, and be creative, do your thing. There's, you're there's not enough, a lot of time left on the planet. <laughs> if you are weird enough, people will pay you to be that weird. Sure, it'll happen. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Or <laughs> they will get a restraining order and that's why I can't go back to SeaWorld. <laughs> that is but, yeah, I, I love it I, I love to see other people be creative and join in and and like it's just fun to, it's more fun together than alone I don't know it's uh so I I, I happen I, I'm a DJ as as a career and don't hold that against him he's still a good guy yeah I love it one of the things that I have learned uh, just from every party I ever went to when I was younger to whether it was a good house party or a good cult ritual in the basement or a good like dance party in the club, every good party isn't about whether or not you're any good at dancing. It's about whether or not you participate. And like to your point about creativity, it's not about whether or not it's the single greatest thing that has ever been made. It's about whether or not you are participating, contributing and present. And yep. that makes all the difference in the world. I love it. That's why it's really fun to listen to the radio because it's live and everyone's listening at the same time. And I can almost feel everyone listening at the same time. And you just feel like you're part of this stream of consciousness. It's so wonderful. 
And uh, when people, if I put my show up and people are watching and they, a couple people comment, I get like, oh, I'm going to see my <laughs> Well, I am super excited that there's going to be some 12-year-old or 11-year-old kid who sneaks downstairs and flips on the television and is inspired by the cavalcade of weirdness that you are <laughs> yeah. bring to their lives with Pox. Mom, what's brutalist architecture? <laughs> it only gets weirder from here, let me tell you that. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, guys, do you have any final questions that you'd like to ask our illustrious guest? Uh, really, I would just personally like to say thank you so much for spending time and indulging our, our weirdness, uh, which doesn't seem to be a very much of a problem with you. you. In fact, you are just a, a wide open door. You're like, throw all the weirdness at me. And, uh, you know, we very much appreciate that because that is us. Let's be weird together. What the hell? Right. I wish we could Life's have a weird parade every day. Dance around in our weird costumes. And that would be my dream. <laughs> That's why New York is great because there, there's just there's still a lot of weirdness here. I just went to like an outdoor punk show yesterday. I'm like 54 watching these like kids mosh in the street, and I was just like, oh my god, they're so cute. See that uh, that what was it? A nine year old or an eleven year old uh, band who covered Du Hast. Oh, <laughs> when kids do that, it was amazing. Oh god. Well, this yeah. is a new band. This is a new punk band uh, called uh, Rebelmatic. They're absolutely amazing. Just out of Brooklyn, I think. They're just some black dudes. They sound like bad brains. I, I was crying. It was amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Rebelmatic, huh? Yeah, they're really good. I can send you... Um, I have their CD. I could send... You're a DJ, so I could send you some songs. I okay. am um, desperate. I, I consume music oh. the way most people breathe so like bring the heat yeah no uh one of my favorite challenges I i've known savage for uh almost two decades now um we have a very interesting kind of friend marriage uh and such and so i will actually try to bring him music that he's never heard of and sometimes oh, yeah. like it most of the time it's like oh yeah no that's pretty good yeah no that's solid you should check out track but then once in a blue moon it'll totally be like wow man this is really good and i'm like Yes. Yes. Isn't that I a good found feeling? Found it. <laughs> so, a good feeling. Um, Beast, a good was, it, was it you who, uh, what, what, were you the one who brought up the Poets of Rhythm the other day? Yes. Dude. This like German band covering like. No, no, uh, they're not covers. They're not covers. They are originals. Oh, that's right. Yeah. German band active from 93 to like 2001. They are just a bunch of German dudes who mastered the sound of old school funk. Dude, so I started looking into these guys. Here's what they would do. They came to the States and started hiding their album in old record stores so that people would find and think they'd discovered a band from like the 60s that no one had ever heard of. They are amazing. Are they signed? They're not around anymore. They broke up mm -hmm. 20 years ago, right? Uh -huh. But it was just a bunch of German dudes who had so completely mastered the sound of Roots Funk. Oh my God. Like, and, and, and dude, you can find them on Spotify, you can find them on Apple, wherever, like, and they're called okay. Poets of Rhythm. Okay. And like, uh, what is it like, uh, Funky Grits and uh, mm -hmm. like, 
uh, th- their track. I think it was called like uh, "Stirring the Grits." Or oh something yeah, like "Stirring the Grits." Another like their other song, "North Carolina." Dude, I'm working that song in at almost every set. Like, because oh, I, I I work a lot of funk in with a lot of my stuff, so like it's just it's oh it's so good. Ooh. Oh my god, I love old funk like that. The really good stuff. Yeah. yeah, I've got friends that carry around the, the, the LP boxes with all this Nigerian Afro funk and, you know, this, that, and the other. And yeah. Oh my There's God. some good work being done, man. There's yeah. some good work being Daptone done. Daptone Records was, is still going and they had Sharon Jones and the Antibalists and all that and Manhattan Street Band. That's amazing. We saw a lot of, we've been to a lot of those shows because they're from New York. So, oh my God, dance for six hours to get a blood blister on your foot. <laughs> yeah, I actually think Poets of Rhythm, their catalog got picked up by Daptone. Oh, great. I was going to suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. There well, you go, they did. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. It has been a true delight getting the chance to talk with you. You have been so gracious, so polite, and so funny, and so engaging. It just thank you, thank you, thank you. And we Namaste. are super about all of your upcoming <laughs> projects and just let us know how we can support you. We're behind you all the way. Oh, you are my bra. <laughs> <laughs> now, we do have a lovely, terrible tradition uh, here at, at Helper. Uh, we, do like to, <laughs> we do like to wrap things up. And because it's on Zoom and everything is slid off a few seconds and I won't fix it in post, we do the worst Go Team venture ever and we are proud of it. So on the like mismatched count of three, one, two, three. Go Go Team Venture. (laughs) Oh, that was horrible. I love it. Dolly immediately went, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Ooh. I yeah. love train wrecks, so I'm in. Yes. Yeah, well, you should check fun. out the rest of our episodes. <laughs> Conjectural Technologies Podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by me. Isla Mode, Professor Brock Savage, and Vaude Villain. Edited by Beastla Mode and Vaude Villain. Intro music produced by Professor Brock Savage. Email us at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pod and go team venture.